Hi everyone, today we welcome Eric Anderson to Education Outright. Mr. Anderson is the head of school at Sussex Academy, a K-12 charter school serving just under 1,200 students in Georgetown, Delaware. Quickly, uh, it's important to note this episode was actually recorded uh, this past May in 2022, but uh, I did not get around to editing it until September. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Excited to welcome on Eric. Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So my first question for you, you know, as someone who grew up in Sussex County, I've seen the really impressive growth of Sussex Academy and, and witnessed, you know, the immense communal support, but also inevitably with charter schools, some of the communal pushback. So could you give me the pitch as to why Sussex Academy uh, is good for Sussex County and the local community in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed that in the last five, 10 years, there's been um, a lot of growth in the county. And that just means a lot of uh, growth in our um, in our schools. So, um, you know, one, Sussex Academy is unique that it offers a small school environment for students who um, may get lost or not feel comfortable um, being in a bigger school setting. Um, initially, the school was founded back in 2000. Um, you know, Sussex County is a pretty rural area. And it was being founded as an opportunity to be a school um, where students would really get the access to a higher level curriculum um, that would really prepare them to uh, be exposed to more global minded ideas um, and have the opportunity to leave Sussex County um, and be integrated into uh, other communities where universities tend to be in big cities um, or just big cosmopolitan uh, environments. So really it's just giving kids the exposure of what they're gonna see outside of Sussex County and outside of Delaware um, and be able to learn at a high level, um, which wasn't available. I mean, I think you, since you, you probably went to high school, so you're familiar with the academic challenge program that was developed so that students could have access to some higher um, academic programs, but there's a criteria to get into those. Um, programs and not all students are always going to have the access to it, but having a school where students are here, they will get access to whatever curriculum um, they want. They want an opportunity uh, to participate in. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been such a great thing for Sussex County. I've got uh, both of my cousins are in sixth and eighth grade at, at Sussex Academy and they love it. Um, at, at, to that point, though, I think in March you briefed the board of directors on kind of a political mess uh, regarding charter schools in Delaware, uh, including kind of, there was two bills, House Bill 352 and 353 uh, that you were discussing. And also you mentioned that you, you were talking with some state officials and without maybe getting into the nitty gritty of those bills, do you know kind of what the motivation is behind them or, or why now? Yeah, I mean, I came from Newcastle County um, for um, moving to Sussex County. And uh, charter schools in Newcastle County are, um, there, there's far more of them. And there was a, um, there's a, it's a much more political up there. Um, you've seen, uh, especially with like the start of Newark Charter, um, it's pulled a good amount of students from the Christina School District, but Delaware is the choice state. So, I mean, students can apply literally to choice out of their feeder pattern school into another school within their district, or they can choice out from their feeder district to another district or to a charter school. So 
what so 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 one of the biggest concerns is that um, with new schools popping up, they're feeling that they are um, some of the schools are cherry picking uh, some of the best students or best performing academic students uh, to go to their schools. So and I think that a lot of these new bills are motivated by high performing charters. There's a few high performing charters, but out of the 23 charter schools, maybe five of them are high performing. Um, and uh, many of our charter schools are predominantly black and brown students. Um, if you take a look at the numbers um, holistically with all schools combined. Um, but there's a few schools up north that have been around for a while. They respectively are um, the top two high schools in the state. And so I think um, initially when these schools were developed, uh, there was more of a criteria to get in, which made it look uh, more selective or um, perhaps not accessible to the students that may need it the most, or at least have an equal opportunity for all students to have access since it is a public school. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it was more motivated around um, those high performing charters and um, some perceptions that the community holds regarding what they practice or how students get in. Um, so the bills were really to try to put a moratorium on charter schools in Newcastle County. It wasn't gonna affect Kent and Sussex. We're only one of two, but there's gonna be a third one opening in the fall here. Um, but they wanted to um, put a moratorium for a couple of years and then create an advisory council which would be able to be another layer in addition to the CSAC, which is the charter board that approves renewals or new schools, um, but an additional layer um, to conduct like feasibility studies on whether or not uh, there was a need for the charter school. Um, another issue I think is that charters are supposed to have um, some innovative practice that's not available to the uh, in the districts. And I believe that we as charter schools have to do better in um, really defining what makes us different um, than district schools uh, so that that argument um, isn't something um, that ends up being drafted legislation. Additionally, I think we all need to take a look at different preferences we have. And if the preferences um, are any way um, a means that would deny students access, uh, I think that that makes us look, look bad too. Yeah, We used to have a, a um, special methods preference, but we got rid of it. We do have a sibling preference and an employee preference, but most choice programs, even traditional districts, also have those preferences in place. And could you explain what a special methods, uh, what, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah, so when the school originally opened, it um, was an expeditionary learning school um, where students would learn through project-based learning. But as the school developed, it really moved away from those practices. However, it was still a part of our charter that we could have students demonstrate their interest via the special methods learning. Uh, and they could write an essay, the essays would be scored and students could get in through that, um, that way other than uh, if they didn't make it in the lottery. Got it. Okay. So I know like Charter School of Wilmington 
has a math science preference so that they have this whole rubric that you know um, operationalizes that concept of interest uh, and that depends on whether they get in an interest pool or non-interest pool. But if you don't get an interest pool, you're not going to get in the school. Right. So there's a lot of subjectivity um, there. And I think anytime your selection criteria can be subjective, uh, then you get, you know, you get flagged as, you know, um, being selective or um, denying access to certain groups of students for admission to the school. Right. And I think that's where a lot of the legislation has popped up. Um, and I'm not saying that it's true, um, but people's perceptions are their reality. And we have to, as a charter community, um, change the perceptions. Right. I, I, kind of to that point, but switching gears a little bit here, uh, you gave to, you gave a really impassioned and inspiring speech at the beginning of, uh, I think it was the April board meeting that I listened into, uh, kind of just generally addressing some individuals who are maybe a little hesitant to change. Uh, and one of the quotes included, quote, we are educating kids like we are still in the industrial revolution because people are hesitant to change. And you went on to talk about the reality of how leaders in schools, uh, like yourself and superintendents, principals, et cetera, tend to get beat up, you know, certainly at the beginning and leave after three to four years because people are hesitant to change. And towards the end, you posed a question to the board and those in the room and said, quote, the work is hard, but should we do less for our students because it is harder for us, the people who are employed, to do it? Um, and I think, first of all, for anyone who wants to hear an educator who really cares and believes in a line of work, that, that speech by you, I, I think, really speaks towards your commitment to positive change and also the challenges associated, I think, with school leadership. Could, could you talk to me generally about working with individuals who are hesitant to change and maybe your commitment to this line of work at Sussex Academy and in your career? Yeah, you know, I have to remind myself that change is scary for all people. But, you know, just because it's scary doesn't mean we shouldn't move forward and change. Um, so that's what keeps me grounded is allowing for, for that grace for people who are just afraid of the unknown. Uh, and it's my job to inspire them or to feel comfortable enough that this is the, the way to go. Um, you know, I, I, I think education is very interesting because everybody went to school and I think because everybody went to school, they think they know how schools should be run or they think they know more about, you know, about schools. And you, I, I, right, right now we've done some things like um, created more equitable grading practices, um, which was necessary to come out of a pandemic, right? But also it's necessary because when our students come from us, when they, unless they've started in kindergarten, you know, they're coming to us from, a variety of different schools and districts, and we don't know how they were serviced before we got there. Um, and we can't create an, a, a, an environment where when they show up, um, they're bound to fail from day one. And so that required us to take a look at our practices and our policies. And we've everything that we do is based on research, best practice, um, and, and it, it still, though, isn't enough to, for example, um, for a parent who asks the student what's going on in school or how did a test go or what does your grade, grade represent, um, when it doesn't sound like what they went through, it sounds like it must be wrong. 
Um, and that's why you haven't seen school change. I mean, students today, all of them have iPhones or some kind of device. And so they have knowledge or information at the tip of their fingertips. So coming to school and listen to a teacher regurgitate something you may have read already online is not the way that we should be educating schools. Schools used to be the place and teachers used to be the people who held information. Um, and you would have to go to school libraries or use the school computer because many people didn't have computers at home, but that's changed. So students access to information um, is, it, it, it's unlimited. So instead of us operating where we are simply givers of information, we really need to shift uh, in a way that we teach students how to be responsible consumers of information and what to do with it when they process it. Um, and that's the shift that we really need to make. Um, and it's hard because I don't believe that our teacher prep programs are changing with the times where they're teaching pre-service teachers um, to change with the changing needs of our students. So um, I just remember that change is scary. It's even scary sometimes for me, um, but anything that's necessary should, should seem scary at first to jump into. Yeah, absolutely. I, and kind of maybe towards something that was scary, I, you opened up uh, or, or decided to add an event was approved at grades K through five in the middle of pandemic, right? It was so, some point in March, right? It was everyone was getting home. You got the news that you were able to open up your doors. And then shortly thereafter, you had to recruit students, enroll students, and hire a staff com completely remotely, a, a scary task for sure. Can you talk about uh, you know what you learned? I, I think that Remote education has been like a buzzword or buzz concept for many, but that's actually something you lived through. So I would just love to hear about that experience. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I think there's a place for remote education. And I think that there's a way that we can leverage it with what we do every day in conjunction with in-person. But what one of the biggest downfalls, I think, is it works a little bit better at the older ages than it does with the younger ages because um, younger kids really need to socialize, learn how to exist in spaces um, with other people that aren't their family or close friends. Um, so, so I think that I think that the remote option um, had more of a negative impact on our younger students, whereas. I saw students in the upper grades in high school um, that maybe struggled with the in-person actually flourish when they went to remote. Um, so I think, I think it's important to always incorporate meaningful implementation of technology from day one. Um, and I think that um, the older the students get, the more we should give them the opportunity uh, to take charge of their own learning. And um, we could be more on the heavier side um, of the remote piece uh, in the later ages. I mean, I, there's students that are getting, adult students that are getting their degrees 100% online. So um, I think that we, we would be remiss if we didn't teach students how to be um, responsible, competent 
users of technology. Right. That makes sense. I, I think it's it's interesting. I, as a college student, uh, I spent the entire year last year remote. I didn't have a single person in class. Uh, but it, it's a valuable skill. And now as I'm transitioning, looking at jobs in the job market, uh, there's there's almost every single job that I'm applying to has some hybrid component. So you know, fostering an environment in which students can thrive in some remote environment one way or another is is really important. I, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, again, going back to if it's harder for the educators, you know, a lot of the adults haven't kept up with technology or they're struggling um, to ha- how to use it for themselves, let alone incorporating it as a meaningful teaching tool in their practice. Um, so I, I think it's our responsibility, though, as educators, as professional educators, professionals, to take serious our own professional growth. You know, um, like I said, I'm getting my doctorate, but I try to go to conferences, a few conferences every year, online opportunities I take advantage of. I have um, subscriptions to different um, education journals. I, I think it's so important to keep on top of the best practices in your profession. And I think a lot of educators, you know, once they graduate with their degree, if they don't go back to school, I don't know how much meaningful professional development that they're seeking on their own. And to be honest, the professional development days that are embedded in the school year, you know, you can't really do anything too meaningful without somebody doing something additional on their own to um, supplement what they're being introduced to or learning um, by school-offered professional uh, professional development opportunities. Right, and I, you, you mentioned uh, a couple months ago, Dr. Mark Holodick, the, uh, the Secretary of Education in the state of Delaware, uh, it came and visited Sussex Academy, and, and you mentioned also talking to some representatives in U.S. Senator Chris Kuhn's office or Tom Carper's, and, and when you're talking to them, what is something, if you were to wave, wave the magic wand, that would make you as a charter school leader specifically more effective or, or charter schools in general? You know, what, you know I, I think don't take, don't take away our flexibility and autonomy. Um, one of the reasons that we were so quickly able to act when we shut down our doors in March of 2020 is that we didn't have all that red tape bureaucracy that exists in district schools. Um, my teachers aren't unionized, so I, you know, I can make decisions that are right for the community and the students, and I don't have to fight with a collecting bar- bargaining contract. I don't have to go through 10 different people in our district. To, to get something approved. I don't have to implement some cookie cutter solution um, that may not work for my population, but works for uh, other populations in the district. Uh, so my biggest, my biggest recommendation or my biggest ask would be allow us to have more flexibility and more autonomy to meet the needs of the students that are in front of us um, versus putting more compliance on us and making us look like traditional district schools. Yeah, that makes sense. And kind of transitioning here from less maybe charter tool general or ed general questions, I've got one or two specific to, to Sussex Academy. And 
One includes, I'd like to briefly read a line of the mission statement, uh, which suggests that you foster social responsibility at Sussex Academy. The, The line is, the mission of Sussex Academy is to foster academic achievement and social responsibility in a small school environment, dot, dot, dot. And I, I wanted to specifically ask, how do you do that? How do you foster social responsibility, something that's you know increasingly important in, in today's world? You know, so we've, we've developed some classes um, that allow for opportunities for students to take one course that um, we actually offered this year was a race and gender equity course, which I team taught with our um, equity coordinator. And we had two sections of it. And really um, what the class was focused on um, was teaching students, one, how to coexist with all people, um, but most importantly, how to advocate appropriately. I think that's important that we want students to get involved and advocate, but really it's how, how it's not, we, I always say to people, it's, it's not the what, it's the how. So you can really talk about anything, but you have to know how to approach the topic in a way um, that is not going to turn somebody off, which is the person that you probably should be listening the most. Um, we, we, we um, you know, we have, we, we go by the three R's, which um, we try to live by. We tell students and staff and everybody to keep it real, you know, so keep it real, be honest. Um, but be respectful, you know, because you can talk about anything, honestly, and by being respectful, it's showing that you're valuing relationships. So that's our school. Those are our school three R's. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, we have other different opportunities, like um, we bring all kinds of different speakers in to talk to our students. We had Ben Carson come in October. Um, we had uh, our Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester here a couple of weeks ago, meeting with a group of students. So, I mean, I think it's very important that we don't censor different, you know, we don't censor people based on their religious beliefs or political beliefs. I think it's important for students to be exposed to all people, even if, you know, they don't agree with them, um, because that's life. That's life. And um, people need to be able to hear different perspectives um, and be able to, you know, decide. You can always decide that's for me, that's not for me. Um, but we shouldn't censor um, what we, what content, what what people we expose our students to, uh, because that's not preparing them for um, global, being global minded. You know. And and what has what, what was the reception to the introduction of kind of the, the three R's or that class this fall? Yeah. So, um, you know, in the beginning of the school year, it's in our code of conduct. We talk about it. We have grade level assemblies. Um, right now, we're kind of, um, we, don't, we don't like to have, we're redoing a bunch of our um, discipline. Um, we're really moving towards a less punitive model. We have a demerit system, which is pretty outdated, um, to a more restorative model, you know, where behaviors are addressed. Um, we tell students, you know, the correct way so that they learn from bad behaviors that they commit and they're able to fix the behavior. So by giving a student a consequence like a detention or suspending them, it doesn't necessarily fix the behavior because then they'll come back and they repeat it. 
So our, our, our job or our goal is to get on top of it, get on top of it, correct the behavior, um, keeping them in school and making sure that that behavior is not repeated. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy that. And, and finally, uh, just in terms of rankings, uh, the Middle School Sussex Academy ranks second in the state uh, in writing. The high school ranks second if you measure it you know, through the SAT writing section. Uh, a, an incredibly valuable skill. And can you talk about how Sussex Academy integrates or, or perfects this skill kind of in the curriculum? Yeah, so we actually, beginning in sixth grade, actually beginning in um, fourth grade, we teach reading and writing as separate subjects. So students have a reading class and they have a writing class where they just work on writing. Um, so as students are coming up, you know, there's a whole class they dedicated to writing, but then they have writing in their science class, they have writing in their social studies class. So we really do take the time to, um, at the early ages, dedicate, dedicate it, schedule time for students to get writing specific instruction in their school day. Um, that changes when they get to high school. Um, it's more of like an English language arts course where, but, uh, but at that time, we're hoping that our students are um, decent writers and they're writing across the board because the common core standards are across all subject areas. So um, we do a good job making sure that anybody who's integrating writing into their curriculum um, that it's focused on those um, our prioritized standards and writing across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've loved, I mean, Sussex Academy's reputation it's ever since I can remember was the, the strong writers go to Sussex Academy and it's such such an important life skill. Um, yeah, fine. One of the things I think it's like if you have, for example, our students in AP, um, just being able to write well is going to get them a higher AP score in certain subjects. Um, just because there's other students that there's going to be taking this these exams that don't have that skill. So um, I think that that it, it, it has its advantages across the board for for our students. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and final question for you here, kind of a, a wrap up one. If someone out there is listening and maybe considering a career in education, what why should they pursue it? You know, I think people who should pursue education, they, I think one, they have to understand that this is a profession. It's not um, a job where you clock in and clock out and you're done. You know, a, a professional job, yeah, you might have hours that you're, speci you're specifically in the building instruction, but being a professional means that you're taking as much time as you need to do the work that makes you be able to do the job well. Um, so there's weekends, there's nights, there's, you know, grading, there's planning. There's also the responsibility of keeping up with your own professional development. Uh, also, when you're a teacher, I mean, schools, we have athletics, we have clubs, we have so many other things that everybody has to take some kind of role. Otherwise, it falls on the same people and then they get burned out. Um, so, you know, if you want to be a teacher, it's not easy work. You know, it's hard work and it's important work. I can't think of any work um, that is more important. And um, if it's something that you come, you're coming to because you get summers off, or you know, you um, you, you can't think of something else to do, 
um, it's really an important profession. And if it's not your passion, if kids and teaching kids to learn is not your passion, you might want to find something something else to do. Um, even even just because you are con you love certain content, you have to be able to inspire that love for your content and your students. So I I, I think that people who go into the profession should really think about, is this something you really wanna do and what are your whys for it? Um, if you wanna create a safe environment um, that fosters uh, you know, the love of learning and students, then yeah, you should, be, you should be a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher since kindergarten. I never even thought about being an administrator. I thought I'd be a teacher forever, to be honest with you. Um, and I think I may even someday finish my career in the classroom. That's how much I love teaching. I usually teach a class every year here um, just so that um, I can, it keeps me humble and connected to what my teachers are experiencing in the classroom. And I can really speak to, to their practice and their experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. absolutely. I, I love, I love that idea of fostering that same love that you have, I think for the profession and, and whatever you're teaching and your students as well. Um, and, and I think it's super important. I think we, uh, certainly in the School of Education here, uh, our, our professors continually remind us that while the, the demand for teachers right now, specifically in the state of Virginia, is out the wazoo, you know, they're, they're hiring anybody they can get, uh, but they encourage everybody to, to think to themselves, don't just, don't just pursue this profession because they want you, pursue it because you want it, uh, and, and everyone's better off in, in the end. Yeah, and, and the one thing I can say, you know, Teachers aren't getting rich, but I mean, it. there's no other profession that I can think of that allows people, the, the employees to spend all major holidays and summers with their kids and their families. Um, you know, they, great benefits. There's very few jobs that you know that you're gonna get that you're gonna have excellent benefits and you're gonna have a pension when you retire. Um, so, you know, even though you're not gonna get rich off of teaching, the other benefits such as the quality of life and you know the benefits and that security that's worth it right there yeah absolutely well i, I really appreciated this conversation eric uh it, it's it's been great talking to you and and, and poking your brain a little bit yeah i uh I, I appreciate you asking this was fun and um thank you <laughs>